So we're joined here by uh, with Jesse from the Grand County Public Library, Sherry from Back of Beyond Books. Typically, we go through a little bit of a, a routine where we talk about events at the respective uh, library and bookstore, and then we'll go into some bestsellers, and then I've got a rant, and <laughs> then we'll talk about what we're reading. So that's kind of the layout of the land today. Maybe a conversation about that rant. <laughs> yeah, I, I would hope so, <laughs> because one rant is pretty useless, but a conversation there's About value there. Yeah. <laughs> so, Jess, you want to kick off what's happening at the Grand County Public Library, please? Yeah, sure. Um, I'd like to start off by wishing you both a happy three-year anniversary. Um, according to my wow. yeah, according to my spreadsheet, we really? did this started this three years ago. Um, first Monday. It's in flown. Yeah, three years. Dang. So nice job, guys. It's been a, it's been really fun. So let's see. The library has actually had some stuff going on lately. Um, now that the weather is comfortable enough for outdoor events and um, and whatnot, we're gonna do. Uh, we're gonna be at the Red Rocks uh, Art Festival Street Fest next Saturday with our book bike, and um, there's gonna be tons of fun stuff to do there. Um, visiting with your librarians and getting a free book is always fun, but there's also DIY arts and crafts and food and music, and uh, it should be a really fun time. They block off um, the street in front of the mark, and, and uh, it's always very colorful and lively and lots of gorgeous, gorgeous art to admire. As you've probably noticed, there's all the plein air artists around town mm -hmm. yes. painting away in this yep. beautiful golden light that we have this time of year. Um, so that's going to be a fun thing next Saturday from 12 to 7 in front of the mark. Um, later in the month, on the 21st of October, back by popular demand, we are uh, going to welcome author Peter McCoy. He's the author of Radical Mycology, a treatise on seeing and working with fungi. And we had him here at the library five years ago, and he packed our little meeting room. And um, it was a really dynamic, super fascinating um, uh, lecture about his book and about how important um, mushrooms, fungus, uh, the mycorrhizal um, life forms are to, to everything. Cleaning up pollution, um, the health of humans, the health of forests. There's so much to know. And, and a good saute. And a good saute. That's right. <laughs> He's a really interesting and dynamic speaker. So... Peter McCoy, Radical Mycology, October 21st at Star Hall at 7 p.m. On the 23rd, then Saturday, next Saturday after that, we are going to, um, we're going to welcome NASA Solar System Ambassador Crystal White and the Grant County Library are inviting you to join an exciting discussion on the James Webb Space Telescope. It's scheduled to launch in December and it's going to be the largest space telescope yet. It's going to be looking at the infrared light spectrum and with information from Hubble and other space telescopes that are looking at other kinds of light on the spectrum. They'll be able to get a lot more information about our solar system. The search for exoplanets. Cool. Lot, you know, with oh, yeah. planets in the, in the right zone to possibly harbor life. It's going to be really fascinating. So that will be suitable for all ages. Um, come to Star Hall at 6 p.m. on October 23rd. 
And lastly, on the 28th of this month, we are welcoming ultra runner Dion Leonard and his amazing dog, Gobi. <laughs> so he wrote a book called Finding Gobi. I love this story. This is so cool. <laughs> so in 2016, Dion was running um, in an ultra marathon race, uh, 155 miles long across the Gobi Desert in China. And a little stray dog decided to join him and just followed him doggedly is the adverb that comes to mind (laughs) (laughs) and ran and ran alongside him and Dion finally gave him water and the the dog just wouldn't leave him and so they became friends and uh, changed both of their lives forever and they've had they've been together ever since and they've had quite a few adventures in the meantime and so we're going to get to meet Dion and Gobi at Star Hall on Thursday, the 28th of October at 6 p.m. And the whole family should come to this one. Um, It's gonna be, that's really fun. And the bookstore and the library both have their books available, I'm sure, um, for you to check out in advance, learn a little bit about their story. And if someone missed any of those events, where can they find more information? Yeah, good good thinking. So you can go to the library's website, which is moablibrary.org. There's an events tab, and there will be more information there. And since we're on the library, you want to remind us what the policies are now for masks and uh, prevention of spread of COVID? Yeah, so we had a couple of weeks where the county felt like the transmission rate was low enough that we didn't have to insist on everyone wearing masks. But that has changed again, unfortunately. And now, uh, regardless of vaccination status, a mask is required inside all county facilities, including the library. Believe me, the librarians do not love this either. And uh, <laughs> we're just complying and trying to do our jobs. And we really appreciate how most people have been very kind and cooperative about wearing their uncomfortable, stuffy, foggy masks in the library. <laughs> As our voices are muffled up here yeah. with our stuffy, foggy masks. But yeah. it's a it's a social good. It is. And it doesn't doesn't do any good to argue yeah, just yeah. put on a mask just go ahead it's it's a minor inconvenience really yes compared so. to an alternative compared to the alternative so thank you sure sherry mm-hmm. events coordinator at back of beyond books mm-hmm. yeah we haven't had many events so it's very curious and interesting that we actually have two within one week mm-hmm. um First of all, we are going to be celebrating the official book launch of Brooke Williams' new book. It's called, speaking of rants, Mary Jane Wilde, Two Walks and a Rant. Uh, This conversation will be facilitated by our very own Andy Nettle. I'm going to have Andy talk a little bit about it um, because it sounds like, Andy, you were... um, involved in the looking at this manuscript but what what's going to be happening is on november 3rd at 6 30 p.m via zoom so i would encourage you to keep tabs on our website uh, backofbeyondbooks.com to um, look for the zoom uh, the the zoom link because this will be a virtual uh, event but the official book launch event for Brooke Williams' Mary Jane Wilde, Two Walks in a Rant. Uh, Andy, can you fill in kind of what this book is about? Yeah. Brooke and I have formed a little bromance. Mm -hmm. 
uh, <laughs> and it's it's not necessarily a literary one. It's just a couple of guys who find commonality in conversation. And after uh, Trump was elected, or the, the night of Trump's election, and the results were coming in, uh, Brooke decided to take a walk. And it was a three-day backpack in Mary Jane Canyon, right behind his house in Castle Valley. And it was, I think, I can't speak for him, but it was simply his way of processing. And really, he does his best thinking when he's out in the wilds, as I'm sure a lot of you do. And he realized at his very first stop that he had either dropped or left his pencil behind. And so he didn't have any even anything to write with. And so he found that as a mnemonic device, he began to tie thoughts in his head to places in the landscape. And he could revisit that very easily through that device. And so when he came home, he, he began to write about all these thoughts. And as we would meet every month or two months, we would kind of talk about what he was thinking in terms of the the Trump administration and what the country was thinking and what I was thinking and both of us are of like mind that we we couldn't wrap our brains around the politics the body politic and these conversations really helped us and so four years after the first walk Brooke decides to take another walk and so it's kind of this book-ended, uh, pun intended, uh, <laughs> attempt at looking at four years of this country's uh, life and turmoil through the wildness that surrounds us here in Moab. And Brooke is a really, uh, dare I say, a deep thinker. And so a lot of his thoughts forced me to really grab a dictionary and a, a thesaurus and a, a literary uh, help guide because he's always referring to events, scientific theories, and people that I'm less aware of. And so it's been a really growing um, association that he and I have. But outside of that, he began to develop this book-length essay based on, on this book four years of, of administrations. And lo and behold, it, the essay, the shorter essay was, was a finalist in a, a contest from a publisher back east, and all of a sudden he has a book contract, and now he's got to turn this into a full-length uh, essay. And so he spent the last almost year doing that, not quite a year, six months, and we're very pleased to, to celebrate the final edition of Mary Jane Wilde, Two Walks in a Rant. And I'm really, I haven't seen the final essay. And I'm really curious <laughs> to see how it evolved from what he sent to me ages ago to mm -hmm. what it has evolved in today. So it's it's fun. I love that evolution of a writer. That's one of my, my favorite things to talk about is how did this project come about? And what processes do you use as a writer to actually get something down on paper and so I think that'll be part of the conversation as well I I told Brooke the other day that 
we're not going to go down the, the rabbit hole of despair. We can't do that right now. Right. <laughs> I think we all need hope. Right. It's a luxury we and, don't have. And so I think it's going to be a fun conversation, and mm -hmm. I ultimately I think he'll guide it towards hope. Yeah, and it'll be rich as well. Uh, he had said, you know, I want Andy as my, quote, thought partner <laughs> and facilitator in this conversation because he did say that there was a bit of a midwife situation, a hand-holding through uh, partially getting that manuscript up and running. So again, that is our conversation with Brooke. Um, Andy in conversation with Brooke, uh, celebrating his new book on November 3rd, 6.30 p.m. via Zoom. And we have extended an invitation to Brooke to attend next month's Radio Book Club, oh, nice. which happens to be on the 1st. So the timing is perfect. And mm -hmm. he said he'd be happy to come up if you all agree and have a 15 to 20 minute interview with him live on the air. Cool. Oh, we'd be honored. So excitingly, that same week on November 5th, again on Zoom, 6.30 p.m. Please keep checking back onto our website for Zoom link. It's not currently up, but it will be. We are pleased as well to ha uh, bring in Amy Irvine, and we all know her regional author, um, her memoir, Trespass, and of course, uh, more recently, Desert Cabal. We'll be in conversation with Nadia Awusu, who wrote uh, her debut memoir called Aftershocks. Um, I would like to say a little bit about Aftershocks as just one of the books that I'm, I'm going to be uh, promoting today. Um, now, Nadia is actually Amy's student. Uh, Amy teaches at a, at a low resident uh, MFA program, and so Nadia was, uh, Amy was her mentor, and did, I, I would, guess also help midwife uh, Nadia's debut memoir and so Nadia um, and I love this uh, kind of telling of this book um, she tells a an incredible story of her long young life how does a girl abandoned by her mother at age two and orphaned at 13 when her beloved father dies find her place in the world this memoir is the story of Nadia creating her own solid ground across countries and continents. I know the struggle of rebuilding your life in an unfamiliar place. While some of you might be familiar with that and some might not, I hope you'll take as much inspiration and hope from her story as I did. And this was, um, this was a quote by Malala Yousaf Yousaf. I, I have a hard time with that last name, Yosafzai. I think that's how you say it. Um, and so, you know, what's really interesting, and a Amy was telling me, uh, of course, both, and I did not know this, but both Nadia and Amy have a lot of, um, they know a lot about public lands. And I guess this was some of Nadia's, uh, this was some of her academic work when uh, she was in college as well. And so the conversation, and it's, it's really kind of still emerging, um, but between th these two women, and it, it, they're basically wanting to come and talk about pu public lands, and specifically, given the recent, recent news, public sands as lands as safe or unsafe for women. 
Um, this is a conversation between a white woman and a black woman on how we occupy public spaces and how our relationship to public lands has changed and the aspect of race intertwined within that relationship. So this is essentially the conversation and of course promoting uh, Nadia's new memoir. And um, I'm excited to just get these two uh, strong and powerful women together in a conversation, especially given just the recent uh, tragedies that have happened uh, very close to home. And so that's going to be on November 5th at 6.30 via Zoom. And we'd love to have y'all come and join the conversation. I'll be facilitating the Q&A, so we'd like to open it up to all those that you know might have questions or comments as well. So that's what's going on. Perfect. Nice. And just uh, to follow up with Becca Beyond's uh, COVID policy, uh, we are highly recommending everyone wear masks and requiring anyone who's not vaccinated to wear masks. And I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Please and thank you. You've tuned in to the Radio Book Club on your community radio station, KZMU. You each have our bestsellers list through the IndieBound bestseller, which are compiled each week by the American Booksellers Association from uh, data submitted from independent booksellers across the country. Let's maybe dive into a few interesting nonfiction titles on the list. Any titles come to mind? You know, I brought the three Bourdain things that we have in the store right now. Of course, one of the uh, bestsellers is... Anthony Bourdain. Yes. Yes. Yeah. The Bourdain. <laughs> the Bord uh, I was getting there. <laughs> Um, uh, the, we are Bourdain heavy. That's <laughs> what I'd say at the bookstore with three actually hardback books. One of them being, uh, one of them being, uh, world travel. And, uh, that one actually, what it, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting. It's, it's called world travel and irreverent guide. I'd say that if there's one word to kind of, um, explain or or give a sense for who Bourdain is it's that kind of irreverent but really beautifully irreverent way he uh, worked through the world and traveled um, in relationship to of course food uh, but what's what we have is um, this one is essentially kind of a, a Bourdain-esque uh, tromp through many different countries with uh, you know food suggestions and and uh, like cafes and restaurants and locales, um, kind of seeing through Bourdain's eyes essentially, and that was called World Travel. And then we actually just out is the Bourdain definitive oral biography by his longtime assistant, um, Laurie Wolliver, who has gone and done um, at least. 50, 60 interviews. And so this is what, you know, what they're calling kind of the definitive biography, but, you know, saying that this is kind of s through the eyes and through the words of many who knew him. And, uh, and then also his longtime, one of his longtime film, um, one of the folks that were with him filming, his name is uh, Tom Vitale. 
um, he actually came out with a book called In the Weeds, Around the World and Behind the Scenes with Anthony Bourdain. So those three, if you're a Bourdain fan, kind of give you a cross-section of, um, you know, kind of what, uh, first of all, a biography, um, which tells a little bit more about his life, and then, um, you know, just a little bit more about how he he tromped through the various countries and what was happening behind the scenes with his film stuff. So, and w the world travel one is on the bestseller list yes. currently. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Jesse, what comes to mind? Nonfiction. Um, I'm happy to report that Isabel Gilkerson's cast, the origins of our discontents is still constantly checked out. And still going strong on the bestseller list. Do you remember what month that debuted? Oh, mm. let's see. It's been it's been on the bestseller list for quite a while. At least strong. a year. So, yeah, at yeah. least a year. It's really yeah. amazing. Um, same with Finding the Mother Tree: Discovering the Wisdom of the Forests by Suzanne Simard. Um, that's a a really beautiful, uh, a really beautiful book. Uh, science and a little philosophy. And I'm uh, looking forward to Maggie Nelson's On Freedom. Mm -hmm. um, that one hasn't come into the library, but should be in there pretty soon. And that looks good. And there's a little buzz about the new Vanderbilt book, The Rise and Fall of an American Dynasty by Anderson Cooper. Um, in his spare time, he just ripped oh off my this goodness, yes. I think there biography. is a co-author on that one, <laughs> <laughs> if I remember right. Catherine Howe. I yeah. Didn't, yeah, I didn't yeah. realize that. He came in from that was his family. Yeah. You know, I didn't. I didn't know that. Yeah, Gloria was what was the relationship? Yeah, that was his mom. Yeah, mm -hmm. mother. Yeah, mm -hmm. crazy. Yeah, and he wrote a few years ago. He wrote "The Rainbow Comes and Goes" about her. Oh, that's right. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Forgot about that. Yeah, I was lucky enough to see him speak right about that time, and uh, it's very, very interesting. And I have no doubt that that biography will be really fascinating. So Vanderbilt. The Rise and Fall of an American Dynasty, Anderson Cooper. How about on the fictional side of life? Hmm. hmm. Well, <laughs> we're, let's see, what's going hot at the library right now? The new Craig Johnson, um, the Walt Longmire series, very popular, Daughter of the Morning Star, came out about two weeks ago now, and... Um, that's going strong. Library's waiting on its second copy to fulfill all of the holds. Those are always really fun. Um, he's a sheriff in Wyoming, in uh, rural Wyoming, rugged, rugged country, and um, has a has a nice, a unique and rugged approach to uh, to crime. Not fiction. by the book. Let's put it That's that way. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> We're also really excited about Harlem Shuffle by Colson Whitehead. I haven't read it yet. How about you guys? haven't read it yet yeah. no but what a an amazing author in terms ah. of genre not genre bending but the scope and fitting into has, multiple mm -hmm. genres mm -hmm. and doing it award-winningly well yeah great great stuff yeah i'll be curious to see how that one compares to it so, sounds like a little sort of similar to uh, deacon king kong mm -hmm. and of course i'm forgetting that name of the author right now um, but, uh, uh king or no not king um oh oh well we'll, we'll get that off yeah anyway <laughs> those are some those are some books that are hot at the library right now well that segues into my rant Excellent. which mm -hmm. it, it, i mean it's not a, a well thought out rant it's just been building mm -hmm. over time that as well let me step back i am primarily a reader of nonfiction. I always have been 
and at least in my adult life. And yet upon, you know, running a bookstore, I've tried to read as large of a, a varied uh, genres as I can. And lately I've been picking up a lot of fiction and I've been disappointed virtually every time. And yet the reasons I'm disappointed vary each and every time. And it just makes me want to throw these things across the room, these, these fictional titles. And I guess in my rant, I'll start with, well, let me, again, step back. I understand fiction. I, I know the, what the word means. It's made up. I get it. And I accept the fact that science fiction or, or fantasy is way out there in, in the author's imagination. I expect that speculative fiction is going to be uh, surreal and it's going to have magical realism throughout. And so if I pick up a book that is titled as such, I'm expecting as such. Where I think I'm, I'm hitting a roadblock is most of my fictional reads typically have been what I would call fictional realism. The real world just through fictional eyes. And I want it to be real. I want the characters to be plausible. I want the events to be plausible. This could happen. And most of what I'm reading, it's so unreal that it just is driving me crazy. So, Peter Heller, The Guide. Peter Heller wrote one of my favorite fictional books in the last 10 years called The Dog Stars. He followed it up with uh, The Painter. And then he started kind of going uh, far afield for me with, uh, was it Soliste? Celine. Celine. Mm -hmm. And then he wrote The River, which really got far out there for me, where Fire was the protagonist, at least for part of the story. And in that novel, he lost his, his good buddy. And finally, we have The Guide. And I had read a couple of reviews. I was really excited about it. And boy, the first third of the book, I just loved. It had this little love story in it, although the character that he portrays as the, as the uh, recipient of his love is uh, not so muted, Alison Krauss. Mm -hmm. He even says it's Alison Kay, mm -hmm. a famous singer. I wonder what she thinks about all I this. <laughs> and it's a, a fly fishing lodge, a very exclusive fly fly fishing lodge out of Crested Butte and it's beautiful. It, it has a little edginess to it and you wonder where it's going. All of a sudden it flips into this terror story of medical uh, experimentation and human trafficking and all of a sudden their lives are in, in danger and Allison Krauss's bodyguards come in with a helicopter after 10 minutes of texting and all it just falls so unplausibly a part that I just couldn't stand it. Hmm. <sighs> okay. Darn it. I did think um, that it was, in it's interesting to me to see the pandemic getting written about. And clearly this was written early in the pandemic because sort of the way he predicts the way things go um, have, have kind of not happened. But um, I'm, I'm starting to see it in, in fiction more uh, you know here and there and I, I do find that interesting just to see what what authors when they when it was first I think he probably wrote this when it was first getting going and sort of how they imagine 
imagine it to go. I do find that fascinating. Yeah, but and, I, I and this lodge was on lockdown, mm-hmm. not because of the pandemic, but because of the other events that going on on the on the uh, within that landscape. Mm-hmm. They didn't want anyone seeing or hearing anything that was going on. But um, it, it didn't work for me. I'm sorry, Peter. And we've been talking about having Peter come in to do an event, and it may make for a fun conversation. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening, Peter, I'd love to chat about your latest uh, volume. But I guess that leads to my question for my esteemed guests, is what are your expectations when you pick up a fictional title? Well, I expect to be... Um, I expect to be entertained. That that might be number one. I expect to be, I expect to maybe learn something new. I like I like books. I like a fictional book that's interesting and takes you places. And um, yeah, like you said, Andy, if it's not fantasy, sci-fi, or speculative fiction, I do want it to be plausible. I like mysteries, um, and. If that is not tight, if that is not tightly constructed and plausible, it's just kind of an absurd, an absurd exercise, and you lose you lose f- faith in it. You mentioned Craig Johnson. I find his character Walt Longmire to be entirely plausible. Totally living in a rural community as we are, and and this Wyoming community is even more rural, with a Native American component next mm-hmm. to it. I find his his dialogue in his ways to be entirely plausible and in the landscape that he evokes is spot on mm-hmm. i love I it cj box is, is cj's similar. very similar good. Yeah. yeah yeah i agree hmm. uh mm-hmm. you know it's interesting i mean yeah when we're speaking of science fiction or fantasy you can suspend all of that you can just take a ride on something one thing with science fiction and fantasy is not all fantasy and science fiction stories are made equal because there is something within them even and i would call it this and it's the truth i think through all of them for me there's got to be an emotional truth Mm -hmm. and the plausibility or even the psychological evolution of a character um that the dialogue is plausible that the dialogue is truthful you know i'm getting an emotional link to this character and may they may or may not evolve that's okay um, but for me it, i think i'm looking for emotional truth, mm-hmm. tell some, you the truth. some depth and a little insight into yeah, human and, nature and i can have a fun romp in a book uh, but still have it feel like oh yeah um there's truth in this um character there's truth in this dialogue yeah. Um, there's emotional um, richness, mm-hmm. I would say. And again, it doesn't necessarily always have to be super deep. Um, but, and th- I, I, I think I even judge or critique sci-fi and fantasy even more in a way so because I still want to see that even in this incredibly interesting other or new world and so i would say that's probably what i look for and i also tend to get a little it sounds really strange but i often get a little jolt on a book (laughs) have you ever had that it's literally almost like a not psychic but just sort of like an emotional oh yeah i need to read that 
and like um, before you open yeah it. before uh, I'll, mm-hmm. it's not even just the cover oftentimes it's and so there's nothing more dissatisfying than a ordering a meal that you're excited about and it doesn't taste good <laughs> and b or it tastes bad yeah it tastes really <laughs> bad and you were excited about it, and b um you know actually paying for a book taking it home getting excited and you just there's no excitement there so I know this, uh, you can't quantify a jolt or an emotional kind of like hit on a book, but I, I do tend to have that oftentimes. Like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, I, I need to read that. And with fiction right now, it's even harder. I do think you have to wade through the weeds a little bit. So it's not easy to find the fiction that <laughs> you want to read. So the second book I would like to rant about is Kim Stanley Robinson. And I've been selling Kim Stanley Robinson for years. I've never picked up one of his books. He's won every sci-fi award that's possible, some of them multiple times. And our our friend Terry Tempest Williams, who's with the Divinity School at Harvard right now, is doing a weekly podcast called The Weather Report. And she is going to interview Kim Stanley Robinson in a couple weeks. Uh, regarding his brand new book, well, it's been out for six months, The Ministry for the Future. And uh, going back to Brooke, he said, you've got to read this book. And so in preparation for Terry's webinar with Kim, I picked it up, I took it home. It's not fiction, it's not science fiction, it's nonfiction. Hmm. Every third chapter is this very in-depth, well-researched, piece of uh, literature on climate change. And then he goes back to the characters that he's he's introducing within the book. And then three chapters later is another one of these diatribes on, on climate change. And it, for me, broke the book up so absurdly that I couldn't keep going. Hmm. Or I need to, I, what I ended up doing was jumping ahead to the chapters that had the fictional characters because they are well-developed and compelling and just leaving <laughs> the, the pedantic climate change material, which I think we all need to be aware of, but I didn't want it in a non or in a fictional title. Well, and I think that's a really great little seed there because when we do pick up a piece of fiction, science fiction, we do want to be told a story. Yeah. We just we just want a story. It's escapism we for me. We just want a story. And sometimes I don't even escape, but I, I definitely just want a story. So if I'm, and I will say this, Beautiful World, Where Are You? by Sally Rooney does the exact same thing. Different, it's not on climate change, but... Um, you know, it's a story of relationships, but one particular relationship is between um, the the protagonist and her best friend who live in different places and they're emailing. And the entirety of the email conversations pull you out of the book. It's, it's really rants. <laughs> <laughs> they're rants. <laughs> and even though in some ways I'm particularly interested in her psyche, so I kind of like, okay, what is she thinking? it pulls me right out. It, it's just literally like, here's some fiction that's be, I'm being told a story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh dear, there's an email. The email's gonna tell me what she really thinks. 
And so it's this really strange hybrid. So I am right with you on just like, I don't want to be pulled out in that way. I want to just keep reading this story. And if you're going to weave those things in, do you think Overstory did that well? Do you think that... Well, personally, Overstory had, had five sets of characters that I absolutely loved and, and fell in love with, and, and three that not so much, and so I kind of glossed over those three. Mm-hmm. So I didn't worry about that. It definitely pulled me out of the, the narrative when I didn't find a compelling character. Right. But it was overall so stellar that I was, I was okay with that. Mm-hmm. That might have been a good example of the ability to bring all of that nonfiction information, all of that, you know, and weave it into the story. And yet it didn't hit me over the head. No. <laughs> and no. I don't want that in, <laughs> no. in fiction either. I remember uh, Barbara Kingsolver's, um, oh, the book about butterflies back east. Uh, help Migration. Me Migration? No. no. Um, yeah, no, I know exactly what I one. read that one. I did too. <laughs> I can totally get it. I know, it I was the demise of the, of the, uh, yeah, the, the butterflies, mon- the monarchs. monarchs. Yeah. And these Eastern populations that, it, but it was so preachy mm. that I just, I had to put that one down as well. Was it flight behavior? Yes, yes, yes. yes. Yeah. Thank you, flight behavior. I had to cheat. So, <laughs> <laughs> so there's my rant. I'm going to, go to my last book that I want to choose and I'm going to throw it over to you too because I know you've got some amazing books you want to go over. So I put down these two fictional titles and I picked up a book I'm falling in love with called Shelf Life Chronicles of a Cairo Bookseller. I'm, I'm a book wonk. There's no two doubts about it. I love books about bookstores and this is a brand new title about obviously a Cairo bookseller bookseller through the eyes of the owners who are three women so put that quickly process that uh, women running a bookstore in Cairo Uh, bookstores traditionally are owned and run by women across the world except in repressive countries where they can't be and these three women broke the mold in Cairo a they developed a western style bookstore in the heart of of Cairo and they did it their own way and it's it's lovely it's heartwarming it's uh bitter it's it brings out the the luxuries we have speaking for myself of of running the bookstore however I want she's constantly afraid of the censors in fact there's a hilarious one of the best chapters is when she's talking about her cookbook section (laughs) and uh up until recently, there were no Egyptian writers writing cookbooks on Egyptian food, period. And that changed over the, over the last 20 years. So she had had to bring in English authors or books in English. And so she brings in all of Jamie Oliver's. And she gets in big trouble when she brings in, was it the Naked Chef? The Naked, the naked Chef. <laughs> because the yeah. censors saw that on her invoice. Yeah, because that would be a title. They, they said, absolutely not. Wow. And so she has to go into the censor's office wow. with her lawyer, who's a man, and she doesn't speak a word. Hmm. The censor's a male. The lawyer's a male. It's all based on bribery and, and this very masculine... 
society, and yet their bookstores, because they had multiple bookstores, she just paints them in a wonderful, beautiful light, and I so badly want to go back there. Uh, I haven't quite finished the book. I don't know they're still in existence after the recent uh, crackdown. So I, I fear for uh, the safety of the bookstore in Cairo, but it's it's really a beautiful book. That sounds great. Sure. what are you yeah. reading? Uh, well, that made me think of reading Lolita in Tehran, even though it's not a bookstore, you know, this, this women's book club, and that was such a good book. Also, that Deacon King Kong author is James McBride. Ah, that's yeah. what it is. Thanks. I wanted to circle, yep, yep. circle back around with that. Thank you. Um, I think, you know, this conversation about fiction, I, I had a conversation or an email question from Brooke, of all people, from Brooke Williams. And he basically said, what have you read lately that both surprised and enchanted you? And so I would really have to say, and we've already talked about this book, but it's called The Death of Vivek Oji by Akweki Amezi. And I think Sam talked about this, and this actually has been historically on Sam's staff pick list. But I picked this up, and I would say there was surprise, there was enchantment, I would also say it is good fiction. It's a really good story. Um, takes place in modern day Nigeria about a young boy. Um, and we don't really know too much about um, what's happening in his most private thoughts. Uh, we slowly but surely come to uh, find out that this is a trans woman. So, of course, um, what's really extraordinary and what the author does is um, starts out the novel using the pronoun he. So here we have Vivek, who is he. And uh, by the end of the book, uh, Vivek is she. And it, the way that this author did that was subtle and beautiful and extraordinary. Um, there, this is a book about relationships, Vivek's relationship to his uh, cousin, uh, very complex relationship there. It's a story about identity, obviously, and also identity in Africa, in Nigeria, and what are some of the gender um, obstacles that are happening there. Um, this is also a story about a relationship between a mother and her son and what she knew and didn't know about the life of her son. And I have rarely, and this is, speaking to emotional truth, I've rarely read um, such astute dialogue around grief in my life. It, it is extraordinary um, the way that this author was able to capture um, what grief feels like, both not just the sadness, but how much anger is involved. And, of course, you know, the title does suggest that there is a tragedy in this. It's true. It begins with the tragedy. Um, but the unfolding of this life, this story, it, it has everything. It doesn't, you know, jump out into any kind of didactic <laughs> prose. And um, I'm excited to read their, uh, 
their newest one. And uh, I would just say it's beautiful and it kind of restores your faith in fiction. I might say that. Will you repeat the title and the yes. author? The Death of Vivek Oji by Akweki Emazi. And this is the Radio Book Club on KZMU. We've got about oh, 14 minutes left, 12 minutes, 11 minutes. Mm-hmm. i got to turn it over to Jessie because she's chomping at the bit. I literally am. <laughs> well, figuratively, I guess, anyway. I am almost done with the new book by Ruth Ozaki. This book is called The Book of Form and Emptiness. Um, some of you may recognize her name. She wrote A Tale for the Time Being. Uh, which is absolutely one of my top 10 favorite books, A Tale for the Time Being. It's a few years ago. So the book of form and emptiness, I approached with the, the trepidation that one does when they're the author's first book, or I guess that was her second. Anyway, was so good. You're worried, worried you're going to be disappointed. This book didn't is not disappointing. In fact, it's one of those books that has found me at the right time to properly appreciate it. There are... It's been, there's been a, some interesting synchronicities with um, some elements of the book having floated into my consciousness over the p- previous few weeks um, from other sources. And I, um, I have gone down one of those wonderful rabbit holes that sometimes a book will prompt you to look something up, that prompts you to look something else up, that um, it just deepens and enriches the whole experience. So. Um, the Book of Form and Emptiness, I'm going to actually read you the description from the jacket. It'll do a much more concise job than I was about to do. It's a brilliantly inventive novel about loss, growing up, and our relationship with things. Uh, one year after the death of his beloved musician father, 13-year-old Benny begins to hear voices. The voices belong to inanimate objects, a, a sneaker, a broken Christmas ornament, a piece of wilted lettuce. Uh, he first he doesn't understand what these things are saying. He can sense their emotional tone, pleasant, uh, snide, angry, full of pain. His mother, Annabelle, is struggling, and she develops a hoarding problem, and the voices grow more clamorous. Um, all of the sounds and voices that Benny is hearing are driving him up a wall, as you can imagine. And um, no one, no the psychiatrists, the nobody understands um, what he's going through including his mother as much as she would like to he finally found finds a place of peace at the public library Um, it sounds like it's a town like san francisco really big gorgeous huge multi-level public library he starts skipping school to hang out there because it's one of the only places where the voices quiet down (laughs) the books talk in whispers and he meets um he meets a Slovenian expat poet, homeless guy, who teaches him to find his own voice and to ask important questions. He meets a young street girl performance artist and is led on some really interesting adventures with these two. Um, the one of the uh, one of the, f- the fun little journeys that this book has taken me on was um, in the library. He finds these little carefully hand-printed notes that just say kind of random things. In fact, one of them was come to the library. He found (laughs) that note somewhere else and was what made him think, oh yeah, I've always felt good in the library. I'll go back there. And so at the library, he sees a note that leads him to another book that's got another note in it, etc. And here's the little rabbit trail that I I went down. So um, 
Benny finds a postcard. And on the postcard is a drawing, a painting by Paul Clay, the famous uh, Swiss painter, called Angelus Novus. Now, if you're not driving a car and you have your phone or your computer <laughs> handy, you can look this up. Just t type in Angelus Novus, painting by Paul Clay. His name is spelled K-L-E-E. -E. And so I run to my device and I look up that painting and, ah, oh, yeah, I think I've seen that one before. So I read on... And on the back of the postcard is printing, and it says, This is how one pictures the angel of history. His face is turned towards the past. Where we see a chain of events, he sees one single catastrophe that keeps piling wreckage upon wreckage and hurling it at his feet. I should add this was written in the early days of World War II, having these people have just, uh, that wrote this, we now know um, had lived through World War I and... It uh, goes on to say, the angel wants to stay to awaken the dead, to make whole what has been smashed. But a storm is blowing from paradise. It got caught in his wings so violently that the angel can no longer close them. The storm drives him irresistibly into the future to which his back is turned while the pile of debris before him grows skyward. This storm is what we call progress. So I'm very fascinated and I... I put my book down and, and read a little further, and I find that that is a quote from an essay by a philosopher named Walter Benjamin, who had purchased this Paul Clay painting from Clay himself, and um, I'm not sure at what point he wrote this essay that that was taken from, but it's, it's a really interesting to think about somebody taking someone else's work of art and just deciding what it means which now that is forever what I will associate this piece mm. of art with. And I think it's a brilliant description. I don't know if that's what Paul Clay intended when he painted this. Anyway, uh, Walter Benjamin, <clears throat> the book goes on to describe a lot more about this uh, painting and this philosopher. And his story is, is really incredible and, and a little bit tragic at the end. But... Um, that is just one of the stories within a story within a story of the book that I'm reading called The Book of Form and em Emptiness. It's just really rich, and the characters are extremely well-drawn well and dimensional. Um, the book is perfectly paced. It's really easy to keep reading when you're supposed to be doing yard chores. <laughs> 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 um, Ruth Ozaki, interestingly, is a, a, a Zen mob, a Zen Buddhist priest. Hmm. And as filmmaker. Well as, and oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, and that there's the memoir, The Face of Time Code. That's one I didn't read by her. Uh, it was sort of an inter intermediary book there. Anyhow, oh yeah, documentary film called Having the Bones. Well, there's something else for me to look at. <laughs> <laughs> so this book found me at the right time. I am finding it to be extremely delightful. It's heartbreaking and heart healing at the same time as one of the reviewers points out Ooh, on the book's like cover. That. Yeah, I thought that was really, uh, that sums it up well. Highly recommend Ruth Ozaki, Book of Form and Emptiness. Go back and read A Tale for the Time Being also. That was that was a really ama amazing story as well. Thank you. Sherry, what do you have for the last uh, few minutes? I just wanted to mention that Jeanette, I think I had uh, talked about Jeanette Winterson's new book, 12 Bites, How We Got Here, Where We Might Go Next, just really quickly. I, I, I had an advanced reader copy, but it is officially in the store right now. So it's just newly hot off the press. Uh, this is Jeanette Winterson at her best 
talking about things, all things AI, this evolving, wonderful Winterson who goes into where we, you know, where we uh, fear to tread. And then I just wanted to mention um, Tarana Burke's memoir, Unbound, and of course, uh, the birth of the Me Too movement, but also um, the story of Tarana's life and, um, the, you know, the trauma behind that and, and how these two very particular words were born uh, through her eyes. Jesse, do you have a, a last speed round pick? I'm almost done listening to the audiobook by Charlotte McConaughey called Once There Were Wolves. Um, many people I've talked to loved her previous story called Migrations. And um, I haven't read that, but I probably will go back and read it now. Once There Were Wolves is pretty, um, it's a pretty good listen. Uh, the reader does wonderful accents, one of my favorite Scottish accents. Um, and uh, it's a story about rewilding, and there's a lot of drama as well. <laughs> and death. It's pretty good. And death. And wolves. And wolves. Yeah, we'll have it's to great. sit down and, yeah. and talk. I wasn't quite as excited about either Migrations or her newest. So. Um, it's a book that's good to listen to. My car, I listen my to car it. rides are yeah. 10 or 15 minutes long, so short bits. Yeah, and uh, it works that way. I don't know if I sat yeah. down and tried to read mm -hmm. it in one chunk if mm -hmm. I would have the same report. Mm. Well, I've got about. One minute for my speed round, and I'm going to introduce a brand new series to our listeners from the uh, art dealer Mark Sublette. He has a gallery down in Tucson called the Medicine Man Gallery, and he's written, I think there are eight or nine in this series, and you know, all these mystery writers, they have to have a, a hook, and his hook is the art dealer as protagonist, and this is an art dealer down in Santa Fe named Charlie Bloom. And he befriends a young Navajo artist who quickly gains fame and is signed by a huge New York gallery. And things begin to go south from there. Structurally, I think the book has some issues, but I look forward to reading another one. It was compelling enough because of the Southwest uh, connection that I definitely want to continue reading Mark Sublet's charlie bloom mystery series and there we've gone through another hour Amazing. of talking about books how fast and fleeting it is thank you to sherry and jesse for joining us mm. on the radio book club hardback radio on your community radio station kzmu good night all good night <laughs>